Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Well, today's Forest Spotlight is called The Seven Things That I Wish I Knew or Had Known About Prior to Starting My Forest Educator Training and Experience. And some of these apply to me as a counselor slash educator starting out. Some of them apply to me as a program director. And some of them are dealing with me looking at my life as a professional and thinking about it in terms of guiding my career and seeing what I do and what I have been doing as a an actual path and journey and not a... Um, haphazard, get lucky, be in the right place at the right time thing, but actually look at how can I move through these? And so that's, there's a part of it that's professional development, part of it, counselor, educator, part of it, director. That's where really where I'm focused. I I know there's things that I wish I'd known about prior when it comes to say wilderness skills or tracking or stuff like that. And I might be able to do another episode that maybe would cover some of those things as well. But this is the Forest Educator Podcast, so we are going to stick to this theme for right now and, and see what we go, what we get. And so we're going to stick with this theme and see how this plays out. And hopefully some of you can relate to some of these. And if not, maybe you can just keep that in the back of your mind in, in case of future need or for reference. So we're going to jump in. So number one, and this is my my top thing that I wish I'd known. And this would have impacted me probably in all of the years I've been doing. This would have been ha- and probably would have the biggest impact on my life and probably the lives of everyone around me. And that is understanding a ADHD slash neurodivergent brain that you know, I figured out about two and a half years ago that I was struggling with some various issues. And I have, I tried therapy and coaches and all kinds of different programs. And I, I tried a lot of things thinking that I knew what was going on with me. And it wasn't until I started finding people who were doing videos on Instagram and hearing what people were talking about as far as what are some of the major symptoms of having ADHD that I put all those pieces together. And that was really a revelation because for someone who has ADHD, and forgive me as I describe this because it is a spectrum. So in other words, some people have really severe things in one category and not others. Some people have it being very mild and then other people have very severe. So it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. But Essentially, what happens for me is that when I'm really interested and passionate about something, I my brain is like happy to produce loads of dopamine or whatever the get up and go chemicals are in our brain that make us and help us to rock and roll, do the thing we're going to do, get excited, deliver deliver the goods, and have a great time. And for me having dopamine is everything. And I didn't really realize that until a few years ago. But 
when I'm teaching, when I'm with other people, when I am working on a project that I'm excited about, my brain will just keep me going and I can just hum along and be incredibly productive. But when my brain is doing something that I might feel is repetitive or something I don't feel like doing or I don't like doing, things like bookkeeping or maybe doing taxes or having to write certain pieces of information. I, I remember struggling so much to do my health and safety plan for the for getting our permit to operate a summer camp. And it was just excruciating. And it really wasn't hard because you basically just look at what the code is and then you write something that matches the code that also makes sense to anyone reading it who is an instructor or staff member of our team and just shape it into a training manual that will really help us, but also helps us meet the code because there are certain requirements like the buddy system or taking care of what to do in, a, in case of a fire or whatever it is. And it just about killed me because my brain would basically go, no dopamine and everything would grind to a halt. And when you don't have enough in your system, it, it doesn't matter how much you need to get it done or how it'd be really good to get this done three weeks ahead of time instead of the night before or whatever the case may be, your brain really struggles and will just sit there. Everything that you try to do, it, it's the most uncomfortable feeling I can describe. And, and I'm not going to dwell on this too much, but I can just say that if you sit for two hours knowing you're trying to get something done and then you come downstairs from your office and you go, hey, and then my wife Trista says, hey, how was, how, how did it go up there? Did you get some good stuff done? It was nice and quiet in the house. And it's the worst feeling in the world to know that you didn't do anything. Not even, oh, I checked my emails. I used, I would do other things to try to get going. But so many times I would just sit there and just be not almost frozen, but not really frozen. And it's just, it was just so frustrating that a lot of that frustration would get turned back into myself. So I would have a lot of what the heck is wrong with me or why am I struggling so much? Or am, am I, do I just not want to do these things? And I would talk about it with different people and they would sometimes say, maybe there's something else you really would want to do. Like maybe you don't want to do wilderness stuff. Maybe you're tired of it now. So maybe you should think about doing something else that you do want to do. And I thought about that for a while too, thinking well, maybe that's the answer, but I realized that it wasn't. And so I realized that pretty much anything that I felt either intimidated by doing or bored by doing it or whatever, when there's no dopamine behind it, it's like a brick wall. And on top of that, because I would feel frustration because all, all these different things that I have to do are crowding in on me, I would feel that frustration and then it would come out in a way where, you know, if I stub my toe, it would feel like instead of me just going, ow, that really hurts, it would be like this releasing of 10 days of frustration. And people around me would be like, whoa, wait, what's, are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on? And then it would be this feeling of, oh, I'm so mad at myself for not doing all these things. 
And so there was this kind of a cycle that I had at times, and I wouldn't have it at other times. And this is what made everybody around me crazy, was that I could be under deadline of something and get something done, or I could be excited about something, get it done, and then other things I wouldn't. And it was just, I couldn't predict any of it. And this is something that I did not know about myself at all, except that when I started talking to my mom about it, she was like, oh, you've had that your whole life. And I, and I was just like, great, that's great. What a pain in the butt. It's just, if there's one thing that I could say for me, and I'm not telling anyone else, oh, go get treated or tested or whatever, but I will say that most of my life, I've been like, oh, I never want to take anything. Like, I wouldn't even want to take aspirin. I wouldn't want to take ibuprofen. I wouldn't want to take anything because I was just like Mr. Nature, Mr. Natural, the body knows, blah, 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 all that stuff. And when I started putting this all together and realizing that my brain just worked differently and it didn't, it worked differently because of some either lack of dopamine, I don't know what it is. I tell you, I watch so many YouTube videos of like neuroscientists and stuff like that and professors <laughs> explaining it. I wasn't just, oh, let me look at TikTok. I looked at people that are very qualified and I really tried to understand it at a deep level. And I think I do, but I will say all of a sudden this whole thing started coming together for me in a way that I'm still trying to, in a way, wrap my head around it. Um, but when I, you know, when I took a and tried a type of me a medicine that increases the uh, availability of dopamine in my system helped me with that. It was a revelation. It changed everything for me. And I will tell you right now, I do not like how I feel when I'm not on that medicine. I can feel it when it wears off late at night. And I can, if I, if I haven't actually had three days where I haven't taken it since I started it because it's just makes my brain and my day and my relationships and how I feel about myself and everything so much better and more effective. Doesn't really affect my personality. So it's just been huge for me. And when I look back, I think to myself, I don't even know if this medicine was even available back 30 years ago or 40 years ago or whenever, but all I know is that it really helps me and I feel a deep loss of all that time that I spent just searching for answers and then feeling like I couldn't figure it out. And as soon as I did get, as soon as I did get some support and help with this, uh, in the last, I would say the last year and a half, I have done way more than I have in the last five years as far professionally in terms of what my goals and projects and things like that. And I've been doing really well on them. I mean, I'm totally overwhelmed right now. I've got so many things going, but honestly, this is the number one thing. I could stop the list right now. And if it was just, if I had to narrow it down to one, but anyway, you get it. And I just would say to any of you, if you feel like you have anxiety or depression or anything else that might get in the way of you doing this type of work, just please don't feel that you have to do it all on your own or figure it out on your own. Please talk to people, talk to someone you trust, talk to therapists, talk to psychiatrists, talk to psychologists, 
just reach out and just keep really looking at what are the symptoms? What are you experiencing? And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, why don't you take uh, 700 milligrams of Thorazine or something? I'm not talking about craziness. I'm just saying the more you can be really in touch with what are the areas where you might feel stuck or gets struggling, the, the better it is that you can get support. It's just, it's just that sometimes our brains work differently and it's totally fine to just allow yourself to get support from other people. And I will say that after I started getting treatment for ADHD, there were a few people that I know that are in my circle. I think I shared it on Facebook a little bit. And I had a number of people that posted things like, don't get me wrong here at all. These are well-meaning, wonderful people with great intentions. And they said, Ricardo, I believe that the people who have ADHD are just ultra aware and they're very hyper because they are so aware of everything. And they were the scouts of the old tradition. So 700 years ago, they would be highly praised for that and having these qualities. And so really it's a good thing. Like they would, the way they would talk about it and posit it. And when I would hear them talk about that, I would think, oh, okay. They don't really know what ADHD means because that neurodivergent brain is different than, oh, I'm a kid who's hyperactive. Like I always thought ADHD was just like, oh, there's some kids and they're in first grade and they can't sit still in class. They fidget a lot and they just want to run around or do whatever. And that's what I always thought it was. And I would just tell some of these folks like, you probably need to do some research on what ADHD actually is that will help you. But the second thing I tried to explain to them is that I don't live 700 years ago. It'd be great if it was just like, hey, what are you going to do today? I'm going to go hunt buffalo with my friends, and then we're going to ride down the river and go swimming, and then we're going to come back up and make arrowheads. If I did that every day, I don't think I would need anything because that would be really fun, and I would have no problem doing those things because they would all be things that I would, could get passionate about. Was there neurodivergency? A thousand years ago? I don't know. Probably. But we might not ever know the answer to that. But I'm just saying that for those folks, they were well-intentioned because I think they were just wanting me to feel good about it and not feel bad. And honestly, I'm okay that my brain is different, but it's the frustration of trying to do things or know that you have stuff you have to do and you can't do it that is excruciating and knowing that you have this like potential that you can't reach. Um, that's the pain. It's not, gee, I wish I was less aware or I wish I could sit still. It's really not the same. So I, I just want you to know that those people, I really thank them for that insight. But at the same time, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I wish that I wish I could just let them have 10 minutes of what's, what it's like inside my brain they would really get it. And then they would be like, oh, okay, never mind." <laughs> or maybe they would still say the same thing. I don't know. And it's fine. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it feels like that's my whole podcast. All right. Number two, what you experience today is a result of your efforts three months ago. What you experience in your 
work, in your life, in your, your programming or whatever, everything that you're doing right now is a result of things that you created or put intention behind or developed three months ago. It's a lot like gardening, right? In uh, May or you know, late May, beginning of June, you sow your plants in the garden and you get the soil all good and you mulch the heck out of it and you weed things, you water them, you take care of them, you do the things you need to do to get those plants established. And then in July, you go out there, you go, hey, everything's looking good. And then all of a sudden, two days go by and they get, you get like a really good, nice afternoon of heavy rain. And then the sun comes out and starts steaming everything up and blasting it with the sunlight. And you look out there and you're like, I can't see any plants. It's all just one giant weed patch. And you go out and you just have to start pulling weeds and frantically trying to help your plants make it and get strong and do the things you need to do. More mulch on, weed, thin, do all the stuff. And then the third month, that's when you go out and you're like, oh, okay, I got to, oh, there's a chipmunk starting to eat my cucumbers. Okay, I'm going to fence this off with some netting or something so that they can't get in. Like you start doing things to protect your plants. You start, you harvest a little bit here and there and you're like, this is great. I'm having a good time. But you really don't get the full benefit of it until June, July, August, at the end of August, that's when you suddenly go, oh my God, I have thousands of pounds of green beans and zucchini and all my tomato plants have a thousand tomatoes on it. And you then feel really overwhelmed, but there's this like incredible thing that you get because you just put in the time and you focused and you gave it what it needed to really be uh, fruitful. And I paid a lot of money for someone to teach me about how to run businesses, like especially online businesses and so forth. And one of the things that she said over and over again was what you do today, what's happening within your life today is a result of the last three months. What did you do? What did you get started? And then what did you develop and promote or whatever? And I did not know that, but even like right now, I had a really busy fall. I had workshop after workshop. Plus I was cooking for Trista's class. I was also taking care of my son Javier while Trista was in Ireland. I also got sick for a week with this like evil bronchitis cold thing that, you know, just knocked me to my knees. Like a bunch of stuff happened and there was a bunch of things that didn't happen. And one of the things that didn't happen was that I did not get all of the planning and all the promotional stuff ready for some of the things that I'm doing now. So all of a sudden now I can be like, oh yeah, I got to get all that done. So right, right now I'm in work mode to try to catch up on those things. And that's all fine. That's part of a seasonal business and you do what you got to do. But I want to just say that this is a concept that's really important. And it's so important to remember that what you do you have to keep your eye on three months to six months ahead, even more than that if you're running programs. You have to think a year ahead in a lot of ways. You have to be already planning. Like in September, I was already planning to talk to people about doing classes in 2024 and trying to make sure that I could have a really cool 
lineup of really awesome things that I really wanted to promote different trainings and workshops and classes and all kinds of stuff. So just keeping that in mind and then really it goes hand in hand with that is my, that same business coach that I worked with, she would often say, Ricardo, you've got 17 things that you're doing. You got to pick one and maybe two, you got to pick two things. And those are the things you do. End of story. Like you cannot do all the other things you're doing. And I didn't really listen to her. I was like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. A hundred percent. She's right. That is a hundred percent. Whatever you focus on will thrive, whether it's your garden, whether it's a woodworking job you're doing, or whether it's teaching wild edible plants or whatever it is. If you really focus on that one thing and get really good at it, you're going to thrive. And it's a lot easier to thrive now that there's the internet and the internet's actually a thing. That's really a, a vital thing. There's a reason why that's number two. And that's because for me, it was a revelation that I would just suddenly find myself like, hey, how come my cash flow really has slowed down to a trickle? Oh, yeah. I didn't promote anything. All right. Here we go. Let's get out there and see what I can do to let people know what we're doing. The other thing that I want to say, this is number three, that parents, children, and program participants, and whether they're adults or teens or college students, whatever, they don't really care about how many skills you have. Like they don't necessarily want to learn about Comanche style buffalo bows from whatever, 500 years ago, that's not really what they care about. Now they might care about them somewhat, but they are really, they're going to care more about how you make them feel than about whether you can give them every single bit of information possible about arrowheads or about wild edible plants or about herbal medicine or whatever it is. Now, just be just to be clear that does not mean that if you're doing a an herbal studies intensive that you then go people just want me to make them feel good i don't need to actually put anything in there that's not what i'm saying here i'm just saying that there's a point in which i would oftentimes think oh i really if i just take these five more workshops on these really obscure very detailed very much a passion project for people that really love wilderness skills, then everyone will start to come to my program. And that was something that I did a lot early in my career, so to speak, because I really thought that it was just all about the skills, right? Like I'm using air quotes here. Tom Brown really just that's one of his big things that he just pounds into you in multiple classes is he's just, you have to have good skills. Yeah. He would just, because he emphasized it so much, I thought it must be really important. And I then implied everybody must think that's important because it's just really awesome and important, but that's not really true. People can only absorb so much information that if you try to give them too much, it will just, it doesn't actually help or benefit them or your class or your program. Okay. 
it's like a recipe, right? So you have to have this recipe. And if you just keep going, having two cups of flour is good. So maybe putting six cups in is going to be better. And it's no, it's not going to help you. And people are looking for the feeling of things. Like they want to go and hang out with you and go tracking with you, or they want to go in the woods and gather things to make art. Like they want to do it with you and they want it to be about you being able to be present with them and to see them and to also connect with them. The amount of like how much skill you have, very few people are that kind of person where they're just like, let me just make sure Ricardo's really knowledgeable because I want to make sure that he's the best, blah, blah, blah. I hardly ever have had that in 35 years that somebody like that. And when I do, it's like, oh, whoa, this person's really checking me out. They're really wanting to know, am I the real deal? And sometimes I'm the real deal to them and sometimes I'm not. And when that's okay, not a big deal all the way around. But the main thing is from is for me to understand that. And if I had understood that earlier than like 10 years into my career, that would have probably helped me a lot. Number four, this one's a little bit tricky here because it just says that I, I had to learn how to see my business, my mission, my vision as an organization or as a entrepreneurial venture and not as like a, for better or worse, like a spiritual quest. I took it as this is my path. And so I felt a certain way about it and I was very protective of it. And I was very, probably really obnoxious about it in some ways. And I was very stubborn and I was like, just, I, I hung on and clung and, and I didn't have, I didn't come into it and go, Hey, I'd like to open up a I'd like to open up an olive garden. It wasn't like I said, hey, how can I get a forest educators program franchise? This was something that was just so deep and personal and meaningful to me. Everything about it was really about being there for those kids in a way that my my father wasn't there for me. And, why, and seeing these children and going, hey, they need someone who could take them out in a way that if I'm not doing it, no one's going to do it. And I'm going to try to be there and to support them and to just show them this entire natural universe of like incredible awesomeness that's there and that they're good enough to do it and that will change their lives. That was the mission for me. It was not, Hey, how much money can I make or whatever? It wasn't, it was really, that was my mission. But the problem was that mission and that focus for me oftentimes meant that I had, I had to recreate the wheel a hundred times and that I felt like no one really understood who I was, what I did, and that no one could help me when I got into a jam because what I'm doing is so special, they wouldn't understand. And it would have helped me a lot to know that this is a business and there are inputs and outputs, right? There's like Money comes in, money goes out. There are costs and expenses, our uh, routines that we do that make our lives easier. There are things that we could do to that you do like marketing. I didn't see it like that for many years. Don't get me wrong. I did put out newsletters to kids and to people. And I did a lot of the things that you're supposed to do. But 
I got lucky because some of those things were things that I just got excited about doing, but I didn't see it as marketing in the same way. So it took a while for me to really embrace that. And I had a number of people try over the years and I'm very stubborn. This is one of those ones that I'm like, eh, I don't think I would have listened to anybody. Even if I, even if I came back to myself and went, Hey, dude, listen to this, do this maybe question mark, but that's something that I just would urge any of you. If you're running your program as like a vision or mission and you don't see it in black and white terms, you're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. You're going to get divorced. You're going to, I have seen that over and over again. And it's okay if your program isn't running to just call it and go, Hey, you know what? This isn't working. I need to put food on the table. I'm going to go get a job at something that can really help make sure I take care of my kids or my family and do this part-time. But when you have it as a vision, you're like, no, I can't do that. It's like you have a million excuses. You're going to delay. You're going to, you're going to be a certain way. And I'm just, I'm telling you, don't prioritize your vision over your family, over your relationship, over those things. Because it's not really worth it, especially if you do hold it really stubbornly and then you're, you struggle for 10, 15 years or whatever. It's just brutal. And then you might not have anything on the other side. And I, I know lots and lots of people who have not learned some of these lessons. And the, like the field of wilderness educators, if you look at it, if you were to see it like on a battleground, it's littered with the broken tools and whatever, and the abandoned campsites or whatever of people that worked super hard and put their heart and soul into it and just still couldn't quite make it work. So please get help, be open, listen to people when they're telling you things, learn from everyone. That's my, that's a big piece. And you know what? You can still hold the vision in your heart, but you can also learn how to read a spreadsheet and you can also learn what marketing is. And you can also learn how to just do good business practices so that you can really thrive in today's world and have an actual legacy other than that you struggled a lot and taught a few kids. All right. So number five, one, this is more personal to me because this is about me valuing my own, what I knew and what I, how I, how much I had trained and practiced and learned and studied. And so for me, because I went to Tom Brown's school, Tom, there's a lot of people that have a lot of different feelings about Tom Brown and his school. And Hey, some of them are probably justified. And I personally don't want to get into any of that because, um, it just doesn't help anybody really. But what I will say about Tom is that Tom is someone that, you know, he has 19 books out, maybe more now. I don't know. He's got a lot of books. He's had like movies about parts of his life or things that he's done. He's worked with the military. Like here's a guy that has just like story after story of like incredible things. And he has abilities, like his tracking ability, like it's for real. I've been out in the woods in the middle of the dark on a Turk night in the Pine Barrens. And I watched him be tracking in the dark and following other people <laughs> that we were looking for. And I'm just saying, this guy is the real guy. And it's not, it was not something made up or it wasn't just, it wasn't just a story. I know Tom typically teaches through his stories 
and doesn't necessarily demonstrate all of them himself. And now, of course, he's like a grandfather, so he's a lot older. But I just want you to know that because I learned from that in that way, I always felt, oh, my stories are lame. So Tom would have a story about, oh, I climbed an oak tree and it got struck by lightning in the middle of a summer thunderstorm and the lightning coursed down the tree and it blew apart and I went flying. Like he has these incredible stories and I would just be like, I went outside and it was thunder. I don't know. I just, it always felt like I was like the little, the little monkey. There was the big monkey and the little monkey and I was the little monkey going, let's go. And my stories always just felt like I was being a just like a kid or something. That's what I felt like. And and I don't, and I mean that in a, in the best way positive. I wasn't putting myself down from that, but I definitely could see that. Yeah. I did not have, you know, I did not have an ancient Apache mentor and have, you know, years of study with that person, whatever. Right. So because of those things, it's just different. Like in my mind, I'm like, I'm tanning three deer hides in a, in some plastic buckets in my backyard. And I'm just like, this is nowhere near anything like what Tom was talking about. However, if Tom Brown is out of the equation, the fact that I was tanning deer hides was pretty, pretty freaking cool. You know what I mean? It was really awesome. When I make a bow and arrow and I can go out and start shooting that and I teach a bunch of kids how to do it and we all go out and start shooting arrows with turkey feather fletch, fletching and with sticks that we found ourselves and sanded and smoothed and shaped and everything. Like it's, it's pretty awesome. Like I don't need to be anything more than that to be able to then share how awesome that is. But I didn't really know that. And so for me, I just kept thinking if I wait longer, if I get more experience, eventually I will feel like I'm ready to take my career or write a book or do something that would say, Hey, I'm putting me myself on a map of what I've done. You know, what I did with Hawk Circle, which was like, I started that camp in 1989 and which is a long time ago. And it was exclusively focused on teaching nature awareness, tracking and wilderness survival skills. And I didn't know any other program doing it the way I was doing it with this like rite of passage element built in and everything. And when I look back on it, I'm like, man, after doing that for 10 years, like I had 10 years experience doing that. I could have written about it, done a bunch of stuff. And I just didn't. And so when I think back now, I just, I want you to understand if you're in this position as well, understand that what you're doing whether you're a forest school level one or whatever it is, it's still really awesome. Your experiences matter and they are really cool. And you have to put yourself out there uh, a little bit and understand that, get feedback from people that, that are professional, anybody you'll listen to that, that whose opinion really matters to you and just realize like, what you're doing is incredible and you're getting experience every day of doing the work. You're in the trenches every day and that matters. And you don't need to compare yourself to someone who's been storytelling for 20 years and they're like really special and they're like a, they know all the wild edibles everywhere in the world or whatever. And you're not comparing yourself to that. You know what I mean? You're comparing yourself to what you've learned. And even if you only say, Hey, I know seven wild edibles that I really know, 
that's better than 95 for 98% of the population. I don't know. It's probably like 80% of people don't even know what a cow looks like in the field. You know, like they don't know fundamentally where their food comes from. So, which is a scary statistic in, in itself. But so what I'm saying is compare yourself to everyone else, but not to the one, two, three, or 10 experts who are 30 years ahead of you. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm just saying it. Don't not compare because you want to get to where they are, maybe, if that's what your goal is. But the reality is that do you have enough information to help someone? And if you do, see the value in that. And I would say to, in the, and what I have written in here that I, in my notes is that if you don't see what you do as really valuable, even if it's like a labor of love or whatever, if you don't see it really valuable, you will undercharge for it. And if you undercharge and undervalue it, that is a recipe for struggle because you will not make enough money. You will then struggle because your muffler needs to be re-welded on. You need new tires. Something happens. You have to move and now you need first and last months. You can't keep it so close to the bone that you barely make it, that one or two little things can really mess you up. And so you have to see what you do as valuable and then you need to know that you deserve to get compensated for that in a way that helps you to receive the way that you're giving, okay? So take that for what you can out of that and see. The sixth one is really this is really practical and fairly short. And that is, I wish I'd known this in the beginning. Counselors, instructors, helpers, interns, CITs, but anyone that works with you in your program, for the most part, especially if you're seasonal, they have a two to three year lifespan, if that. But two to three years. If you got somebody that's working with you for four or five years, Man, you're living on borrowed time, man. You're on easy street because that person has made all the mistakes. They have know what's going on. They have internalized your parameters for how you work and you get along. Hopefully, hopefully that's all true. And when you have those people, it is fantastic. Try to pay them as much as you can and keep them around because they make your life so much better. And you have to make sure that they have room for upward mobility, because if the only job that they could do is your job, then that's a problem. So you have to find ways to make sure that they're happy and excited and willing to keep doing that. But by and large, I mean, that that is a unicorn, I will say. If you're lucky enough to get a unicorn, right on, go for it. Rainbows and butterscotch or something, whatever they want to say. But most of the time, those people will be there. They'll be there while they're, when they get out of college. And they're like, hey, I'm going to have fun for the summer and go back and work at this program. Or they get out of college or they say, hey, I'm taking a gap year. I'm going to stay at your place and help you out and do stuff. Like any of those people that are doing that type of work, you, it's a natural thing for them to come, be there for a year, two years, and then probably not if they are like willing to challenge themselves. I saw this happen a lot. Someone would come in and go, hey, I want to be a CIT. I'm 16, 17, 18. So they become a CIT and they help out. Then they go from CIT to, hey, I got out of high school. I graduated. I'm going to college, but I'm going to work for you this summer. 
and then they come back and they were, and then you go, Hey, if you get, oh, if you get first aid or if you get an EMT status, status, you could be our, one of our camp health directors. And they're like, Ooh, okay, I'll do that. Some of them would do that. Some of them might come and then say, Hey, I'm going to be an instructor, but can I work part-time in the kitchen? And then some of them would go and actually say, Hey, I'll run the kitchen next year. That would be really fun. I'd like to do that. I love seeing the kids all have fun and feeding everybody. That would be great. Other times they would be in another position where they'd be like one of the head counselors. So they would be in charge of the CITs, helping them out and helping with the program. So in other words, giving them something they can learn and celebrate and work on really important. Eventually they might come back and say, Hey, I'm going to run the camp with you next summer and be the assistant director or, or be the program director for like your expedition programs or something as they get into their like mid to late twenties. The problem sometimes that happens with this age group though, is that when they come in, they will oftentimes make every single mistake that young people make. They will make judgment lapse problem. They'll make bad calls. They'll, they'll break stuff. They'll forget things. Like you sometimes can have a trail of this. Oh, I can't believe that you guys left all the tools out in the rain or whatever it is. But the reality is that is what you get when you pay someone or hire someone who is very young and inexperienced and two or three year lifespan. The more, if I really had understood that it took me a while to understand that. And I think part of that is it might be an ADHD thing for me, but I did always, it, I took it really hard when those people wouldn't come back because I took it as, oh, they don't want to come back with us, me anymore. And I'm like, no, he, so-and-so got a job. They're a lawyer. They're working for a law firm in Chicago. It's not because they don't think you're cool or that you're special or that they care about the vision, but they have a girlfriend that is, they're getting engaged to like they have their own life now. And you, and that was, it's all in right order. Boom. I mean, my wife tried to tell me this like over and over again. And I just would, I would just miss them because I don't mean I'd miss them because I was the director and it would make my life easier. Yes, that's true. But I also miss them because it was so super fun to go into, I don't want to say battle, but it really did feel like we were going to go in there we were going to make something happen and change lives. And we just felt really good about the impact we were having and the connection that you have. And when those people disappear, it, there's a loss. And I just would say I took that loss harder in some ways. I didn't hold it against them or personally, but I'm just saying it would have helped me to just, if I understood that going in, nobody tells you those things. So I'm throwing it out there for you. All right. And I guess number seven is this might seem lame, but it's, and maybe it's an extension of whatever number five, but I would just say, please write about what you're doing. Take video of what you're doing share what you're doing, write a book, do something that is meaningful, that will move the field forward in some way. Like I just did an interview with uh, Sam Kaufman and, and Sam is like taken like herbal medicine that is studying plants, medicinal plants and everything else. But he's really combined the plant study with what he calls the herbal medic, like a, an herbal first aid kits and actual field care 
And he's also combined it with clinical herbal practices where you're actually helping people in like a, like in a, in an actual like office, medical office setting where people come in and go, Hey, I'm having trouble with such and such. And they actually come up with formulas and herbs and a protocol like what he's doing. I know that other herbalists have done this, so please feel free to write to me and let me know about it. But he's written a book about it. He's got herbal first aid kits and he's trying to move the field and closer to the medical field so that it's not on the fringe as, oh, that's alternative. And so therefore, yeah, we don't know if it works or whatever. He is not, um, he is definitely making a difference in that regard. I look at someone like Mark Elbrock, who looked at all the field guides. I, I knew Mark, he worked at our camp for a number of years. And when he, when he started to go study tracking, and I took classes with Tom Brown with Mark too, he just looked at all the field guides that were out. He looked at different people. He studied with all the sort of top trackers. And then he just said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to take pictures of every tracks, all these tracks. He took thousands and thousands of really good pictures. And this is with film. I know it's digital now, but this is back in the day. But Mark really worked hard and then created field guides to animal tracks and birds and different mammals and skulls. And so Mark moved the field forward of field guides and what we can expect. And instead of it being like a bunch of pencil or line drawings, like the Peterson's field guide, Olaf's Murray, which was awesome. And I love that too. But Mark just took it to a whole nother level. And I look at what like Sam Thayer did for years. I would just look at all my field guides of to wild edible plants. And it would just be like, oh yeah, here's this plan. You can make jelly. You can do this. You can do that. But they didn't say how to make jelly. They didn't say how to make fruit leather. They didn't say how to um, make wine or do this or that. And then, so in other words, you would get the information that it could be done, but then you'd still hit the brick wall of how do you do it? And you're like, okay, I guess I'm out because I don't know how to go further. But I look at Sam Thayer's books and he is a, it, just an incredible forager. And he is, just gives these like whole chapters that are just page after page of all the nuances and the different varieties of elderberries and the different types of service berries and the, the differences in the acorns and how to prepare it. And like, he's just apparently done all of the work of these things. It's apparent from when you read it that he just has done it not once, not twice, but like hundreds of times. And then he put it into a book and just made a phenomenal. There's a reason why there's so many really good foragers and people who are into wild foods. And I can tell you right now, Sam Thayer is one of the main reasons why. Boom. Because he actually took the time to move the field forward by really having a vision and then putting it together. He's totally a pioneer in that way. Up until Sam's book, so many wild food foraging books, they were just, it's like they would just rehash what everybody else would say. You could look in there and just see the list of, oh, this plant, jelly, medicinal, tea, boom. Like they just would repeat each other's things and then have a different cover and then a few different drawings. They really didn't, you, you could buy six of them, compare them, and they were just not, there was nothing 
distinctive about any of them. Whereas Sam's changed the game. Mark Elbrock changed the game. Even someone like Tom Thomas Elpel, whose book, Botany in a Day, boom, learning plants through plant families. Awesome. Brilliant. You can read that book, go through it. It is phenomenal. It will really help you to understand plants in, in, in a huge way. These are things that you can do. And all it takes is just getting out there and trying it and then going, hey, I think I figured something out. Make Do it. Put it together, please. That is my mission for all of you to say, look at this and look at it not. I'm not looking and saying do that because you're going to make a lot of money. I don't know. I don't know if any of these people are like raking it in or anything. I haven't seen uh, any of them driving around in like a Mercedes or something. <laughs> Come to your own conclusions. I don't know. But what I'm, what I guess I'm trying to say here is um, that think about your career, think about where you want to go, and also not just where you want to go, but where what would you like to contribute. What are some of your gifts? And I don't know. Maybe there, there's a lot of people writing a lot of books about forest schools. That's awesome. I love seeing that. I'm sure that there's a hundred different people that are out there that have moved the field forward in those directions too. So all of these things are, are awesome. But these are seven things that I wish I'd known. And I just want to say, hey, I don't know if my podcast is actually going to move the field or anything. So I don't think I deserve to be in the same category as these guys. But hey, I'm trying my best to do that in my own way. But I want to say thank you for what you do. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for telling other people about it. Thanks for leaving a review. I appreciate everyone because I know how important it is for us to make a difference and to do it on a human level and to take care of ourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.